These assholes, they always get away. If I could change matters, I would spare a life. Cause lives matter, it's clearly nothing as dear as life. You have become a symbol in a spirit life. Rest in power, rest in paradise. If I could change matters, I would spare a life. Cause lives matter, it's clearly nothing as dear as life. You have become a symbol in a spirit life. In America, one tradition at last is black blood woven into the fibers of the flag. Not addressing the problems of the past To nowhere fast but following the path So-called leaders on hire for the clan Still raping and setting fire to the land Well that's the climate, how can I become a man? If survival is a triumph and we got the underhand Listen, one killer, one child, one weapon The shooter was unthreatened 71 seconds, so many unanswered questions I see reflections of myself, I feel like in fatherhood We are connected too long before the shooter was arrested So wrong worldwide we've been affected To them it's real, sins of the father remembered still For every Trayvon Martin there was an image Hill How many more kids will we wait for them to kill My tears collected like raindrops on a windowsill If the wounds heal, the memories never fade I wonder if you're in heaven's 11th grade 6,230 days, too young of an early age Such evil and worldly ways The thing in which we believe, the way in which we behave The way in which we evolved, the mindset that we became Listen, rest in power, rest in paradise To all the babies too young to have had to pay the price Cause lives matter, there's clearly nothing as dear as life You have become a symbol in the spirit life Rest in power, rest in paradise Know as long as you still got somebody here to fight Your lives matter, there's clearly nothing as dear as life You have become a symbol in the spirit life Break into my neighborhood and there's a real suspicious guy uh, Um, the best address I can give you this guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white black or Hispanic? He looks black. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, a dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie, and either jeans or sweatpants and white tennis shoes. He's sitting around here, he's just staring. 712. Phone record show, Trayvon Martin is on the phone with his girlfriend. 7.13, Zimmerman is giving the dispatcher directions when he says the subject took off. Are you following us? Yeah. Okay, we don't need to do that. Okay. 7.15, Zimmerman hangs up with 911. Okay, no problem. I'll let them know to call you when they're in the area. At the same time, at 7.15, Trayvon Martin's girlfriend tells ABC News she's still on the phone with him. He said his man was watching him. Then I said, would you, would you uh, me from in the man? I'm going to say, what you doing around here? Somebody push. Trayvon, because the head said 7.16, the line goes dead. At about the same time, a neighbor's call to 911 reveals background screaming and then a gunshot. Do you need police fire on um, maybe both, I'm not sure. There's just someone screaming outside. Okay, and is it a male or a female? It sounds like a male. And you don't know why? I don't know why. I think they're yelling help, but I don't know. Just send someone to take Okay. Does he look hurt? 
I can't see him. I don't want to go up there. I don't know what's going on. So they're sending. So you think he's yelling help? Yes. All right. What is your? Just gunshots. You just heard gunshots? Yes. How many? Just one. Seven seventeen. Officer Timothy Smith, the first to arrive. And according to the partial police report, the officer says, I was advised by the dispatch that the report of shots fired. And in the span of two minutes, Smith canvasses the scene, spots George Zimmerman wearing a red jacket and blue jeans, observes a black male wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt laying face down in the grass, questions a man in the red jacket who admits to shooting the subject and still being armed, secures a nine millimeter gun and places the man in handcuffs. The officer observes the man in handcuffs, bleeding from the nose and the back of his head, according to the police report. All of this in about two minutes, the police report says, a very tight time window, according to senior law enforcement instructor Alex Manning. You really want to know what happened in those couple of minutes? Were they still running? Was he walking around uh, looking for Trayvon or was Trayvon heading out of there? So in those two minutes, you really don't know what exactly happened. 719, two minutes after Smith, a second officer arrives, Ricardo Ayala, who observes Zimmerman already in Officer Smith's custody. Sometime between 719 and 730, Ayala says he tries to get a response from the subject on the ground. A sergeant arrives, checks a pulse. There is none. And both officers begin CPR. Another sergeant arrives and takes over chest compressions from Officer Ayala. The fire department arrives, attempts to revive the subject, and at 7.30, a paramedic pronounces the subject, Trayvon Martin, dead. Then the police report says Zimmerman is placed in the back of Officer Smith's patrol car and given first aid, but exactly when that happened is a matter of dispute. Criminal defense attorney Holly Hughes. We don't even know what time the EMTs arrived. If it took them five additional minutes to arrive, you're now down to five minutes for them to perform a complete medical examination on him. If he's in that bad of shape, they're not going to do something that takes five minutes. They're gonna bandage him if he's got a gushing gash in the back of his head. The timestamp on this Sanford police surveillance video shows Zimmerman and officers arriving at the station at 7.52, 35 minutes after the first officer arrived at the crime scene. The police station is a 15 minute drive away. Earlier, I was joined by Alex Manning, a senior law enforcement instructor, and I asked her after she just saw what she just saw, uh, what that timeline revealed to her. Here's what she had to say. This reveals there was little, if any, medical attention given to George Zimmerman. If the paramedics were with Trayvon Martin until 7.30 when they pronounced him dead, according to my calculations, I have taken about 14 to 15 minutes the police, from them to get Zimmerman from the scene to the police station, I have them only attending to Mr. Zimmerman between 7.30 and 7.38, about eight minutes to do an assessment, to treat him for any wounds. He wasn't injured that bad. Wow. And as a law enforcement person, you are taking a stand and saying that you can't believe it within that amount of time. I can't believe it, unless I'm missing something. This is a partial report, but if I just look at what I have, eight minutes is the most time they spent treating Mr. Zimmerman. I'm on the phone with Chevron and Ms. Hackney. Sanford Police Department, why is being recorded to the shop? 
my neighborhood and there's a real suspicious guy. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. Okay, this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, a dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie, and either jeans or sweatpants and white tennis shoes. tipping point to starting the Neighborhood Watch. From the very first meeting, it was announced that George was the head of the Neighborhood Watch. I mean, all his information was on the emails that went out. He was the person to contact. He thought he could maybe protect the neighborhood and be the hero. And you know what? If I can fix my marriage, I can still do something right. During that time, I believe he called the police about 50 times. Two black males in their late teens, white beard, black tank top. A gentleman was walking in the neighborhood. I don't know what he's doing. I don't want to approach him personally. His suspicious characters at the gate of my neighborhood. The neighborhood Two days before the shooting, Shelly finally had enough and moved to her family house. She felt like, this is it, they go and they're heading for divorce. There's nothing that can fix this. The day of the shooting, George came at her family house, knocked at the door, and had a huge, huge fight about how he really wanted her to come back, but she refused to come back until his anger issues are fixed. After he left, she was crying so much about how fearful she was, and she'd seen a new George that she'd never seen before. A couple of hours later, I hear from Shelly, oh my God, you won't believe this. Ah, these assholes, they always get away. Ah. George just shot someone. Number one, I chose to move to my next chapter. Um, because if my son had died and I had died also and I was just walking around the earth not doing anything, then I would be dead too. He slid a crime scene 
photo to me and asked, was that my son? I was reluctant um, to, you know, even speak, even to be the voice of my son, you know, which seems like that's the natural thing to do is to speak for Trayvon, who's not here. But um, I didn't want to. I just felt so weak and hopeless and helpless. God really had to work on me to strengthen me, to um, get me to speak up for other people, to speak up for my son, to speak up for myself. Sabrina Fulton can still recall the moment six years ago when she learned that her 17-year-old son, Trayvon Martin, was shot and killed. They say that time heals all wounds. It does not. By Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman. Zimmerman claimed self-defense. My son was innocent. My son was the victim. My son didn't shoot and kill anyone. He didn't even own a gun. People look at the situation, they get angry with it, but we have to get angry to the point that we're doing something about it. And that's what I did. The death of your son, Trayvon Martin, certainly launched a movement. What was it like for you the first time you went anywhere and you saw crowds, thousands of people saying, I am Trayvon Martin, or screaming his name. How did you process that? Well, it was here in New York. You look so strong during that time, and I often marvel, does she feel as strong as she looks? I did not. They didn't see me when I was very emotional. They didn't see me when I was depressed. And so where so many people were telling me how strong I was, I didn't feel it on the inside. And so I started speaking to myself. I started speaking to God. I started saying to myself, I am strong. I am strong. And then I started to feel like I really was strong. How do you grieve and recover from the death of a child? I think I had a great deal of support early on. I started like reaching out to other mothers that had kids that were victims of senseless gun violence. and. It kind of took the edge off of what I was going through. I had so many people that were positively like lifting me up. Even now through my difficult days when I have my bad days. and You, you still know, have bad days? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to have bad days the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but um, because it feels like something. What, what is it a bad day? Like, you, um, you're triggered by a memory or what is it? It doesn't really have to be a memory. It doesn't have to be something that I saw. I could wake up that morning and, and just have a bad feeling because it, it feels like I'm missing something. It feels like something is is not right with my life. It feels like something is not in order with my life. And so I'm not afraid to cry. I'm not afraid to tell people that I cry. That's just my, my rainy day, but I know that a better day is coming. How do you feel about George Zimmerman? I don't give him a whole lot of time, a whole lot of focus. So have you forgiven him? I have not. I have not. Um, I know that in my own time, in my own grief, and in this whole grieving process, that I have to forgive. But by the same token, I'm not at that point yet. I'm very honest with that. A lot of people ask me that question, and I'm very open and honest about it. I'm very real with my feelings, and I know I have not forgiven. Sabrina says she never could have imagined that her son's death would have had this kind of impact as a catalyst for the Black Lives Matter movement. Even Trayvon's hoodie would become a symbol. I call it Pandora's box. 
And it is the box of evidence that was given to me by the Department of Justice, um, probably th three years after Trayvon was shot and killed. And um, when I first got the box, I said I wasn't going to open the box. And uh, of course, curiosity bothered me for a while because the box was in the house. And I, uh, I opened the box and I cried and cried and cried. What was in the box? Um, in the box is everything that Trayvon had on. His hoodie, his pants, his t-shirt, his socks, his shoes, his cell phone, um, his money, the, the drink, the candy, everything is in the box. Sabrina says she received a request a few years ago to display those items to the public in a museum. At first, she was not ready. I didn't want anybody to see the things. I didn't want anybody to touch them. I just was like, no. And so this year, we're meeting now. There's a possibility, a strong possibility that they may end up in the museum because I feel like I have grown since that time. Even though I gave birth to Trayvon, I just think that he is everybody's son, and I need to share those things with everybody. I can't tell you how many nights I, I have gone or laid awake at night just thinking, I wish to God these circumstances had been different. Shooting death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin. In an exclusive interview, Shelly says she can't explain what was going through her husband's head the night he got into a fight with Martin because she wasn't home. Um, I was staying at my father's house. We had gotten into an argument the night before, and I left. This 26-year-old sat down with Christy O'Connor, an investigative reporter who is writing a book on the trial. Shelley still stands by George's story. Do you think George is capable of having profiled Trayvon and killed him on purpose? No. Why not? That's just not his way. On February 26, 2012, Trayvon Martin was walking back to a house in a gated community in Sanford, Florida, where he and his father were staying. Trayvon caught the attention of the neighborhood watch captain, George Zimmerman, who called police. This guy looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. A fight broke out. And that's when he grabbed me by the head and tried to slam my head down. Zimmerman fired one gunshot and Martin was killed. Zimmerman claimed he shot Martin in self-defense and was found not guilty of second-degree murder and manslaughter. After the acquittal, his attorney said George is now an outcast. Unfortunately, even though he did nothing wrong but protect his own life that night, the, the way that things were sort of visited upon him by the way the case was handled initially uh, made him a pariah. But Shelley stood by her husband, even as death threats came. There have been so many, um, I mean, scary ones, like if, if George gets acquitted, you're going to find him hanging in a tree. The couple was forced to live on the run. We have been pretty much gypsies for the past year and a half. We lived in a 20-foot trailer in the woods, scared every night that someone was going to find us and that we would be out in the woods alone and that it would be horrific. Shelley says she felt like she was living in a fishbowl. Ripple effects from Martin's death extended far beyond George Zimmerman and the team. Uh, Trayvon Martin could have been me uh, 35 years ago. Sparking massive protests across the country. Justice! Now! Justice! And Shelley Zimmerman found herself caught up in those ripples. 
She admits she lied for George at his bond hearing, hiding how much money they had from a judge. Why did you lie? Fear of um, many things. Um, there's the fear of just other people knowing how much money we had come into, and that was some a lot of money for us. When George was arrested, internet donations began pouring in. His lawyer said about $200,000 to help pay for his mounting legal expenses. Their reaction to this huge windfall was captured in taped jailhouse calls. And like after that happened yesterday, he said like so many people, just your site kept crashing. But also perhaps early signs of a wife's growing ambivalence. After this is all over, you're going to be able to just have a great life. We will. Yeah, we will. Prosecutors say the couple used a code language to try to keep their conversations about their finances from authorities. For example, calling PayPal Peter Pan. Can Peter Pan to me? While in jail, Shelley helped keep track of how much money was in George's account. Uh, okay, so total everything. How much are we looking at? like $155. Prosecutors say that's code for $155,000. But only days later, Shelley was leading poverty. That you all have no money, is that correct? To my knowledge, that's correct. Were you under any pressure from anyone? George, Mr. O'Mara, his team, to lie? I'm not going to go into that right now. Wednesday, in the same courthouse where her husband was acquitted, Shelley pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor perjury charge. You know, I can rationalize a lot of, of reasons for, for why I was misleading. Um, but the truth is that I, I knew that I was lying. She's been sentenced to one year probation and 100 hours of community service. I answered to a higher power and I could not um, live with myself if I didn't just completely come clean. We the jury find George Zimmerman not guilty. Yet even though she was there as her husband's verdict was read, George was not in court when she made her plea. Now we're getting a closer look into their relationship, a hint that the couple's marriage may be in trouble. Did you want him to be in court to support you? I always want my husband's support. Since his acquittal in July, George has been off the radar. But just last week, George visited a Florida gun manufacturing plant. It is the same company that made the gun he used to shoot Martin. Do you think it was the right thing to do or sensitive? No. I just think that he's under, um, or he has been kind of living in a pressure cooker. And he is doing or thinking some things that none of us can maybe understand right now. It's unclear how much time they're still spending together as a couple. Are you together? I'm not going to answer that. Has this whole experience hurt your relationship? Yes. Do you want to have children? Do you want to stay married? Of course I want to have children and stay married. With George? That's something I'm going to 
have to think about. Whether it's with George or not, Shelley says she's determined to move forward. I want people to realize um, that I'm a human being who's full of flaws. Part of that process, she says, delivering a message to Trayvon Martin's parents. If I could speak to them, I would say that I'm so deeply sorry for their loss, and I can't even begin to understand the grief that a parent experiences when they lose a child. Hi, this is Gary. I'm your host of Unarmed Resistance, and I would like to speak to you about the unarmed killings of more than 20 black men and a few women have also died in the process um, of these senseless killings of our people. Um, it reminds me of a movie I saw back in 1984, The Terminator, um, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, he was a seemingly indestructible robot sent back from 2029 to 1984 to assassinate a young waitress whose unborn son will lead humanity in a war against sentient machines. Now, sentient is one who perceives and responds to sensations of whatever kind, sight, hearing, touch, taste, or smell. Sentient ultimately comes from the Latin verb sentire, which means feel or is related to the noun senses, meaning feeling or sense. Now, since... As far as I can remember, I've been hearing um, of police brutality, um, and it seems like a lot of them lack compassion, empathy, um, and they don't have a moral compass, most of them. Now, I do know a lot of really good police officers in different states, different cities, different capacities. I mean, some really, really good guys, and I know they wouldn't do half the things that I've been seeing done to our people. I mean, these guys are black, white, and Spanish. I mean, there are different um, ethnicities, so um, that doesn't really play a big part in it, but those are some really good guys, and I know they wouldn't do none of those things that I've seen done to our people. Um, but I'm trying to bridge the gap between police um, and communities across the country. But like I said, everything that's going on right now remind me of the movie that I've seen back in 1984. And our people are being assassinated. We're being gunned down and killed for no good reason. They're unarmed. Um, we may be a little rowdy at times, but it doesn't... Um, need to end with someone losing their lives. And I'm trying to stop it however I can um, by any means necessary. Now, were these men and women targeted and hunted down like prey and terminated from the future? Or was this just a cowardly act um, by certain cops that's afraid of black people? I mean, the community, you know, they want answers. And the majority of them have been acquitted or, you know, they paid civil lawsuits and have gotten off. And most of them didn't face any jail time. Now, we have 
several people that have been killed over the years, um, starting with Trayvon Martin again, which caused national um, riots and things across the country, um, protests all over the place um, for Trayvon Martin. People came from all over. Um, we have Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Tamir Rice, um, Jamar Clark, Sandra Bland, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Akai Gurley, Laquan McDonald, um, Eric Harris, Jeremy McDowell, um, Philando Castile, Samuel Du Bois, um, Jerame Reed, Tony Robinson, Ruman Brinson, Brisbane, John Crawford III, and several others. And these guys have been murdered broad daylight. Some have been killed in, in the dark, but most have been broad daylight and on camera. And these police are still being acquitted. Yes, the family received civil lawsuits. Yes, they probably had to sign NDAs, which are um, non-disclosure agreements, and they can't talk about certain things. But a lot of these families have reached um, settlements, even though they're in the millions, but it doesn't um, replace a life. I don't think, well, I know when it comes to insurance and things like that, they put a value on life, but no one wants to lose a loved one, especially to the hands of police officers that are scared or they just don't like black people. For whatever reason, they're killing us. Um, is happening in large numbers. It's not just one or two cases. I mean, it's like 30 now um, since 2012, and it's not stopping. Today, I'm going to talk about Trayvon Martin. It's going to be the first story. Now, Trayvon Martin was an unarmed American 17-year-old killed by George Zimmerman on February 26th of 2012, sparking national controversy. Trayvon Martin was born in Florida on February 5th, 1995, an athletically inclined teen with an eye towards aviation. Martin had no criminal record when he was shot and killed by neighborhood watch member George Zimmerman on February 26, 2012 in Sanford, Florida. Zimmerman's initial release and later arrest sparked a national debate over racial profiling and the role of armed neighborhood watch members in law enforcement. On July 13, 2013, a jury acquitted Zimmerman of murder. The Trayvon Martin Foundation was established in 2012 with thousands have taken to the streets across America to protest circumstances surrounding the teen's death. Trayvon Martin was born Florida on February 5, 1995. His parents, Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin, divorced four years later. Trayvon Martin attended public schools in Florida, including Dr. Michael Kropp High School in Miami. With parents that wanted to expose him to the world, Martin had experience that included skiing, horseback riding, and a trip to New York City to take in the sights. At Carroll City High School, where Martin went to school before Kropp, the youngster took an English honors class. Though his favorite subject was said to be math, Tall and athletically inclined with tattoos of family members' names on his frame, the quiet, quiet Martin was highly interested in studying aviation and potentially becoming a pilot. Yet he had also started to have problems at school, receiving suspensions at different times. 
in late January 2012, Martin spent his third high school suspension visiting his father, whom he was close to, and his father's fiancée, Brandy Green, at Green's home in a gated community, the retreat at Twin Lakes in Sanford, Florida. In response to the rash of robberies and burglaries in the residents and the communities established a neighborhood watch in September 2011. George Zimmerman, one of the residents, was selected to be the program coordinator. Zimmerman regularly patrolled the streets and was licensed to carry a firearm. From August 2011 to February 2012, Zimmerman had called the police several times to state um, that he had seen individuals whom he had deemed as suspicious. All of the reported figures were black males and it was upward of at least 50 phone calls. On the evening of February 26, Zimmerman saw Martin, who had left the house to purchase Skittles and an Arizona iced tea. From his SUV, Zimmerman called the police department at 7.11 p.m. to report a suspicious guy. Martin walked between homes and started to run. The dispatcher told Zimmerman not to get out of his car and follow Martin, with Zimmerman disregarding instructions and pursuing the team. Later released video footage of Martin shopping for um, treats at 7-Eleven. No criminal, no criminal or aggressive behavior at the time. And in later interviews, it was revealed that Martin was on the phone with his girlfriend when he was spotted by Zimmerman. She stated that Martin noticed that he was being followed by someone and thus began to run. With the two soon losing contact with each other via Martin's earpiece, Martin and Zimmerman who is believed never identified himself um, as part of the community watch, encountered each other in circumstances that have remained mysterious and conflicted. With someone calling out for help multiple times in a short time span, the confrontation ended with Zimmerman shooting the unarmed teenager in the chest. Martin died less than 100 yards from the door of his townhouse in which he was staying with his father and stepmother. An officer arrived on the scene at 717 he found Martin dead and Zimmerman on the ground, bleeding from head wounds to the head and face. The officer then took Zimmerman into custody, who claimed he shot Martin in self-defense. Zimmerman was shortly released with no charges filed. Martin's father, Tracy, learned of his son's death after filing a missing person report with the Miami-Dade Police Department. Having gotten legal representation, Martin's parents also created a change.org document that received more than a million signatures calling for Zimmerman to be re to be placed under arrest. The case became social media phenomena and national story with Zimmerman critics alleging that the racial antipathies may have motivated his actions. President Barack Obama, who stated to the media that if I had a son, he looked like Trayvon, also called for the case to be investigated. Zimmerman was charged with second-degree murder on April 11, 2012, with additional information coming to the media's attention that made the case even more highly charged. The trial began on June, June 24, 2013, after the selection of an all-female jury. The following month, on July 13, 2013, the six-member jury acquitted Zimmerman of murder, triggering mostly peaceful protests in several American cities. Later in the year, Zimmerman was charged with domestic aggravated assault, amongst other charges, after having allegedly choked and aimed a gun at his girlfriend. The woman opted not to pursue the charges. 
Zimmerman was arrested again in early 2015 on another charge of aggravated assault. The Trayvon Martin Foundation um, was established in 2012 with the goal of increasing awareness about the effect of violence on families while scrutinizing the racial and gender crime profiling. In July 2018, the first of six-part docuseries, Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story aired on BET, the Paramount Network produced by Jay-Z and created the full support by Martin's family. The series explores the youngster's background, recounts events leading to his death, and examines the activist organizations that sprung forth in the aftermath, including Black Lives Matter. It's really important for people to see Trayvon as a person, his dad told people. He was a teenager who had a future ahead of him. This documentary will help people really know him as he was. And I would like to let young people know, man, if you're in trouble or if the police is pulling you over, they're stopping you, please talk with some sense. Um, put your hands out of the window. Don't seem threatening to them. Um, let them know that you're trying to make it to wherever you're going and you know you don't want any problems. Man, if you talk with some sense, I promise you'll make it home and it, it won't have to end up bad for you. All you have to do is just chill, take a breath of fresh air, and just talk with some sense. That's all you have to do, just talk with some sense. If you talk aggressive or if you start running or if you do anything like that, there's no telling what could happen. There's no telling if they want to shoot you on purpose or if it's an accident. Who knows? But for all we know is that it's, it's intentional. These guys that we've been seeing being killed over the years, we've been seeing video footage and you name it, we've been seeing it and they've been being, everyone's being acquitted and it's got to stop. So if they're not going to stop shooting us, at least not give them a reason to shoot us. So like I said, if you can avoid it, confrontation, if you can avoid calling them names, if you can avoid um, yelling and talking loud, if you can avoid those things, there's a possibility that you could make it home that night. And this is Gary with Unarmed Resistance. I'm your host. Spread the word, share the knowledge, and stay out of jail.